You're listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hi, everybody. This is Rick Hadrava. And yes, we're bringing to you another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, so grateful to have you tuning in and hopefully you're getting a lot out of our podcast and you're sharing with your friends. We're growing. We're getting great reviews. And so I appreciate that. Honored to be able to share this platform with you. You know, one of the most common questions that I'm asked constantly, actually, is, hey, Rick, who is actually the over 50 entrepreneur? And it's a great question. And I would just sum it up this way. Like the business owners that we work with at Epic Business Advisory, we have business owners all over the business owner timeline. And what I mean by that is we often work with business owners that have been established for a number of years who are considering the next 10 years or five years or even three years to sell or transition their business or simply kind of get themselves out of the business and become more of the CEO. On the other end of that spectrum, we get business owners that have had some experience. Maybe they've got past that five-year mark or 10-year mark and they've found success, they've found stability, but yet they find themselves maybe not getting the financial results thereafter personally, or they find themselves buried in the business in search of more freedom. And so they come to us and we work with them. And I would tell you that the guests that we have on our show are kind of a sample of that. We're always looking for great business owners that have wonderful stories, success, and knowledge and wisdom that they're willing to share with our audience. And so sometimes our guests are the over 50 entrepreneur, but once in a while I get to carry the title. And, you know, today's guest is no different, not quite at that level. Uh, she's got a few good years left before she gets the title of the over 50 entrepreneur, but guys have no doubt about it. She's doing some amazing things, some very interesting things. And I think it's great for us to just jump in, dive in here as we get to meet today's guest. Her business, Utopia Plastics, came from her passion of constant learning and exploring and asking questions and really observing the things around her. While she spent 20 plus years in building cable and internet infrastructure, Sharina Perry quickly found herself a bit outside her comfort zone, I think she would admit, but driven to solve a problem. And so, you know, let's just jump right into it with today's conversation and welcome Sharina Perry to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Sharina, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, listen, we want to learn more about you as an entrepreneur, as a person. So we always like to ask you, tell us a little bit about your journey to how you got to where you are today, if you wouldn't mind. Well, my journey started over 20 years ago. I will say, and I don't think most entrepreneurs set out to be entrepreneurs. It was circumstances that pushed me there. And to be honest, when I um, started what I believed to be, you know, from high school to college, I knew I had talents, but I kind of always saw myself as the person operating behind the scenes making it happen. I used to tell um, people that I worked with, especially when I moved into upper level management and operations, 
that um, somebody may have the Midas touch, but I would be the person that helped it turn to gold. And so it would be taking ideas. So how I ended up actually owning my own business was as a result of loss. Um, I was the director of operations for a company, had fast-tracked that company to become a leader in the country in the cable and satellite space. And one day that came to an end. Um, the owner came in and said that he was done. And that left many people um, without jobs, including me. But what did that look like? I had invested so much in growing this company. So I decided I was going to try to take a stab at it on my own. And I didn't have all the resources. My husband at the time was in college. We had a small daughter. I had just taken everything that I had saved to put as a down payment on my home. So this was a life change for me. And I'm going to be real, that was tough. A lot of people, as the director of operations, you're there every day. You're there making things move. I felt a real sense of this is still my company. So that obligation to people was there. And I, when I started my own company, I wanted people to stay in jobs. I wanted as many people that I could put to work to stay employed. But that also meant I took a lot of sacrifice too. So um, trying to keep a door open without having the resources was a challenge. And thankfully, I didn't do that, have to do that very long. It was a little over a year and someone came to me and said, basically, I believe in you. Why aren't you doing this on your own in a greater way? I took them in as a partner and within one year, we became a multi-million dollar company in revenue. I then from there, a few years later, became one of the top 10 public private retailers in the country. And then um, one of the top five MDU free to guest retailers in the country. I moved to government contracting. I attributed to believing that it was possible, working and maintaining the right spirit in the choice of what I chose to do. I always saw my role as a business owner as taking care of other people. I, I believe that, you know, I'm creating jobs for people to support families and I'm giving people something better. And even if it was an aligned partner, I'm helping keep another company in business. Well, I love that story. But I feel like I'm missing something here. So so let's go back and fill in some gaps for our listeners. So the company that you worked for, the owner basically said he's done, which is very common, right? Business owners, and, and that's one thing, most business owners never actually sell or transition their business. They simply shut the doors. And on, it's one of the passions and things that we we deal with is we hate to see the families that are disrupted by that right? These employees. And so did you take over that company or when you started the company, it was the same kind of business. It was that networking infrastructure business early on. No, um, he, he closed his business. So it wasn't a matter of recarrying that business on. And it wasn't a close because the business was struggling. It was really a close because 
like many, especially people that move between different businesses, business ideas, they believe that that's the hot moment. Like this is the burst. So I'm going to get out of it while it's high so that I don't have to take the loss later. And that really was what he thought even at trying to convince him, I wanted to just operate that business. But at the end of the day, it was his business, but it was also the business. I put the formula to grow that business in place as far as how would we reach our audience? How would we bring in salespeople? How would we bring in a more clients? We, we were building this business. So I knew the recipe. So it wasn't difficult for me to take that recipe that I knew and that I had helped fast track to become the leader in the industry to incorporate that into my own business. So it was actually starting my own. And that was a wonderful thing for you. But I'm curious, I want to go back to this because this is a common thing. We see it time and time again. Did you ever have a discussion with the business owner about buying out the business? And just taking it over yes actually we did um there were other people in operations and we sat down the day that decision was made i remember the day to date i remember the conversation and i feel like we pleaded to allow us to run it but he wanted to move out of the state and so that meant he wasn't connected to the business. Now, you have to remember, this is the early 2000s. We hadn't long gone into this digital cell phone platform even. Communication was different. We weren't talking Zoom, teleconference. We were, that was very much a time of brick and mortar. It was very much a time that business just operated differently. And so looking back as to where I am right now, I feel like it had to happen, Rick, or I wouldn't have been able to launch into my own greatness. Perhaps I would have never tapped in to what was inside of me. And at that time, we only operated in the residential space. The success that I achieved was moving into commercial, moving into the larger market that allowed me to become a company that operated nationwide, that allowed me. So yes, it is something that we see common, that a business closes its doors and people lose their jobs, then what? But the years of kind of being a serial entrepreneur, I learned that that's the, that's the name of the game. It's, it's peaks and valleys throughout the entire process. If you ever think you're here to win at this peak all day long, boy, you're the master. You figured out something nobody else has figured out. And usually that's a good red flag that something's coming. <laughs> okay, so I get it. I understand the ability to launch this, use the formulas, take it a different direction, own it, do things, pay big dividends for you. So then comes along this new thing in your world, right? And I want to make sure I get it correct because we had a short conversation and you told me a little bit about it, but tell us about the evolution that is today Utopia Plastics. I'm going to share because 
I want to be real too about what happened yeah. with my company. So I had a company and it was built also on a residual type of platform. I worked hard, I, I built, and that's how we were operating. Essentially, I had built a nice cushion over my years in the business with the goal of transitioning out of the business. I had a goal to retire at the age of 40. At 42, I made the decision to kind of pull back, to not be um, working as hard. I began to outsource things. I began to reduce the contracts that I took in. And it's also part of that was changes, shifts in policies in the companies I was working with. As they changed, that would require my business model to change. After you go through that enough, somehow it doesn't feel like you own your own business anymore, especially when you're operating under someone else. So I received a letter. Now, during this time, what I didn't mention is I had always been in a place to work with other business owners especially minority and small business owners, even larger ones to help them become successful. I learned early in that I could take the knowledge, the resources that I had, the information, and share that with others to help position them for opportunity. So here comes 2017. In September, I get a letter that says the company is exercising section 9a of the agreement and terminating for convenience now rewind to earlier that year i was essentially told if i didn't increase to go back up to the higher levels basically you're bringing in more money under a residual than you are new money to our business so i couldn't do it it was um it was very taxing over time it was a challenge keeping people on. I felt like I was pouring in more than I was getting out. So I, I had to do this. Well, I got that letter and 30 days later, all of that residual income was gone. So that meant people's lives were impacted again. It was devastating, but I stayed in service to others. Prior to that, I had taken on um, clients to help them grow their business. And here I am, I'm dealing with this reality, but I'm making other businesses successful in my time. So I stayed in that. Earlier in 2018, my nephew received a diagnosis that he had neurofibromatosis too, and he was going to have to have surgery. He was 19 years old, and at this point he had 30% of his hearing. My sister had traveled New York, had traveled, contacted Boston. And so here he was in Dallas undergoing surgery for what they said was an incurable growth of tumors. Of course, this was a challenge for my family and my sister in tears as we waited, as they were operating on him, came to me and said, you have to find a solution. That hit me. And I started researching what takes care of tumors, what helps tumors. And so that took me to studying plants, took me to the road of cannabis. It also started a journey for me to create a health and wellness line of products to help him. 
I had, I will admit, I had my ideas, stereotypes about cannabis, but I tell people now, education turned my ignorance into advocacy. And I really believe that in the true sense, plant material, plant matter were placed here on this earth to help us sustain life in the best way, in a very organic way. So through that, I developed a health and wellness line. I was able to get my health and wellness line approved through pharmaceutical testing in Japan, working with Rakuten, then some people who had brought that in. So I was the first, actually one the first, what I understood, hemp approved product with hemp, hemp in it in Japan. I was getting great results. People were having great results with using our products, but I wanted to be able to actually say this could help someone. And that meant FDA approval and clinical trials. So now I had to look at what's that going to take to get that accomplished. And that's not an easy task. No, it's um, quite, quite costly. I learned the first one just to do some testing to bring about 30 people in was going to cost me about (laughs) $600,000. Well, that didn't exactly look like it was in my budget. But I have been studying plant material, and one day I'm at McNeely's with a partner of mine, and I get a paper straw. Now, I want to rewind a little bit. I've been studying plant material, so not only did I see that plant material could be used for medicinal, I also saw that it could be used as an alternative to petroleum, cotton, and wood. So when we're sitting there, at um, McNeely's, I get a paper straw, it starts to break down in my drink, like within a matter of seconds. And I'm like, this cannot be the alternative to plastics. And what had happened, um, Starbucks had announced that they were doing away with single use plastics by 2020. And that meant straws. So I thought, and part of it also was they said they would give $10 million to the company that helped them find a solution. Well, I've never had barriers stop me. So I figured if I literally believe if other people can do stuff, I can too. So I decided I was gonna make a straw using plant material that I had studied. I then made a paper straw prototype in my kitchen. So I want to go back and just hit a couple highlights here because I, I, you know, we brushed through a couple things and, you know, there's some common threads that I've found in successful entrepreneurs, successful business owners. And it's not that they don't have struggles. It's not that they don't have challenges and failures. It's that they, they pick themselves up and they keep going. And, you know, you, you kind of outline this and it's why I want to hit on this, Sharina. The reality is you hit a roadblock that took a successful business, maybe not essentially to zero, but it flatlined it pretty quick. A lot of people would give up and would go work for somebody else and say, you know what? I've struggled. I've challenged. I don't want to deal with this anymore, but you kept going. And then really on the heels of that, what I heard you saying is you had personal tragedy in your family with your nephew and it kind of lit a fire for you to continue to learn, which I, I see entrepreneurs, that that's one thing I know. Again, 
when you're around entrepreneurs, you see you see trends. You see the you know you can quickly realize why people are failing, and why some are succeeding. Being in the right place, yeah, that works at the right time. That helps, but being able to to persevere is what I heard you saying. Here you are into this plastics, and you talked about hemp and all these different things. And there's so many different avenues we can go in this, but you found a new opportunity. And I'm curious, you know, what you learned through that experience and then this straw thing, because this is really what this is all about. And I don't want our audience to lose this side of this is all this got you to this point, right? Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, So here you are sitting in the kitchen and I think it's like this epic moment, right? Like this whole, I, hearing your story, what I'm hearing is here's the history. Here's everything that happened, good, bad, and indifferent. And I'm sitting at the kitchen and I'm, I'm dealing with a straw, (laughs) right? So am I right on that? I mean, is that kind of how you reflect back on the, on where you are today in that moment? Was it that pivotal for you in the kitchen? Oh yeah, it was absolutely pivotal in the kitchen because here I am, you know, my daughter is, we're talking about what do I coat it in to make it like where you can put it in your mouth. So it's beeswax and then it's paraffin. You know, you're studying what are food contact type of coating. You know, what do you bond it with? What do you wrap it around? You know, those are all the factors in, you know, you just think you want to make a straw. That's what I said, I'm going to make a straw. Then I start having to dive into what actually is required to make a straw, right? So it, it watched some videos, studying the materials that are required to change plant matter into paper and do all of this. So the biggest discovery that day was I took this straw and I had a cold cup of Sprite and I drank out of it. And you know how you get the rush when soda or the watery in your eyes it was so cold and then the straw hardened well whoa i didn't expect that it got harder now that was different from what happened at mcnilly's so then i run over had a pot of boiling beeswax and i put the straw in the beeswax and we're watching the temperature because obviously if it has this impact on cold, the opposite is what happens in heat. So we're watching the temperature rise and it didn't break down at 340 degrees. So I knew we had something that performed different than your traditional paper, right? And so that led to really um, that article that um, Starbucks was listed in that they were shifting. There was a company interviewed in it. At that time, I had begun to work with someone else that they had heard what we were doing. They were at an event in Oklahoma City and we were like, hey, possibly we can align. Well, I put together this packet and we put it in front of this company. And they had said, this is probably the best thing they had seen in 12 years. So then we knew we really had something. So if we could commercialize this straw, we would really have accomplished something. Later, we'll find out there were some other challenges. But 
What I did then was I attempted to work with this company. That was another thing. Partnerships, alliances, make sure you're on the same page. Make sure that I was bringing the IP to the table. They gave a real, very unrealistic approach to what they saw that partnership looking like. So that dissolved, but it didn't just stop me. You know, it, it, it actually encouraged me and pushed me more. So had conversations with the, the people that made the straw that was at McNelly's, which happened to be Hoffmaster and it was the Aardvark straw. So I said, if we have this paper produced commercially, will you turn it into straws and do the testing? They said, yes. I also didn't know how difficult that would be. So I thought, well, you know what? Surely there's people out there pulping plant material. Yes, they are, they're pulping wood. And any company had done anything like this before was pretty much shut down. Um, whether it was in New Mexico or I think another one was in Colorado, but neither one of them were producing paper anymore and the numbers were disconnected. So I found this company in Kentucky that had a purchased a facility and they received a pulp mill with the purchase, but they had no plans of using it. They agreed to turn it on and make pulp for me. Also, what I later found out after they made the pulp, a company offered them to buy all of the pulp that they made. I was only needing a portion of what they had to produce because of large manufacturing requires usually a lot of running material, but I didn't need that much. So they sold it to a paper company. I then pleaded with them to give me the information for the paper company. They did. I asked the paper company, let me buy it all then. And then I'll have you make it into paper. This is actually for a specific client. So subsequently, they made the paper to the specs that Hoffmaster wanted and shipped it to Hoffmaster. They made it into straws, therefore producing the first hemp straw by Utopia with them. And they did the third party testing. Congratulations. Well, so let me ask you, because it's kind of how you, you spend a lot of time sharing with us how this was developed and how it's made. What I want to know is, have we gotten it to market? What was that like? And and what are you seeing? And where's the future in your mind of not only this product, but your company in general? Okay, so that was paper. It yeah. was hemp. Well, what I learned was the challenges with using hemp for a food contact item after talking with the FDA. So guess what I'm up against now again? <laughs> Trials, testing, removing cannabinoids, removing um, THC. And what I realized is a lot of people were not paying attention, even as they were encouraging use of hemp for industrial purposes, they weren't paying attention to regulation. So companies would do that and then run into challenges. But I had studied more than hemp. So while I didn't tell anybody what I was doing, the plastics we were developing were not hemp. They were USDA approved crops that everybody thought we were developing hemp, but that was my secret sauce. That's what I went to get patents on. 
So, so let, let's not miss this highlight here because this is a piv- another pivotal moment. So you moved away from hemp and hemp has been used in everything from clothing to some industrial use and things like that. But you, your secret had to do with farming and agriculture, right? Yeah. So um, what was it about that that kind of took you that direction? Obviously, we know why you, you looked for an alternative to hemp with FDA issues and the different things. But you could have gone, who knows what direction you could have gone into, right? But you chose the agricultural angle. W- what was it that, that kind of shined that light? I think it was really back to with my nephew, you know, understanding that plants, the properties, I myself have a reaction to lab manufactured vitamin products, um, but I can get it from food sources. So, or natural things that are grown. So I, but also what I realized is that my whole life had probably prepared me for this. The idea of Utopia, because that was the name of my company, my grandfather and land ownership and protecting land and my father's background in oil and gas, but being a part of the safety part of it. As I'm looking back on my life, I used to as a young girl, and this is what I didn't share. As a young girl, I always had this ideal of a utopia society. And that would be a society that we could fix our problems if we just chose to look at the solutions and not create more problems as we solve them. So as a little girl, when I would see a world problem, I would draw out this solution. And I would always say, well, this wouldn't happen if we were in utopia. So here I am now and farming was just not on really the radar in some of these spaces, but as I read and I would go research, I didn't see, I I saw that they said it could be used as a replacement for petroleum, meaning plastics or cotton, but I didn't see a lot of that in mass production, especially on the plastic side. So I pursued a way of using this plant material in plastics. And I had very intentional questions because let's go back to, I had already started this company named Utopia back in developing the health and wellness. So I knew that would be my name, but I had to make sure we were not creating more problems as we solved them. So I needed a manufacturer not to have to change his equipment. I needed to make sure that people could stay in jobs. I needed to help economic development. These plants that we were using had already been proven that they could absorb carbon at four to five times the rate of trees. I knew that based on keeping those questions in the forefront of what I was doing, as I developed solutions, I wouldn't create more problems there and actually could help solve in creating the solve. I could actually help those who were trying to do something different. So I developed a utopia model that included farming, um, processing, manufacturing, and distribution. And so today, since I've now developed the Utopia Plastics, we invite people to join us on the journey to Utopia is what we call it. And it's 
really, um, if we can't see anything that's happened around us these last year or so, is the importance of sustainability. It's important of developing ways that we take care of each other. We may have to become sustainable within our own borders. What does that look like? Those were all things that I feel like we're really addressing with Utopia. Um, there's a lot I've left out in how we got here as far as even the plastics, I haven't told that. But, you know, today we have a compounded resin that is um, plant-based that can be used in your traditional applications of polypropylene and polyethylene. And it can be used to make blown film for bags, blow molding for bottles, injection mold for containers, um, straws, extrusion with a thin wall. So a farmer now can grow a crop on the outside of Oklahoma City that's used to make the items we consume every day. That's a change of the narrative that we've ever seen. I'm going to venture out that 10 years from now, we're going to see this be a bigger part of the economy than than what it is today. And so I love what you're doing. And, you know, we could spend a lot of time. I, I think there's another hour here that we could go, but unfortunately we're coming towards the end of our time. But I have a couple questions for you. And, and one is just simply this. If you look back, right, and you reflect back on your journey, if you had to go back and do it again, is there anything that sticks out like I would do this differently? I would say no. And the reason is, is because my wins, my losses, they built me to where I am today. And today I'm exactly where I need to be. I could spend all day long about what if, but the truth is I'm operating in what's real. And today for me, my life's journey resulted in me realizing a vision that was in me the whole time that my life's walk was really my experience leading up to it. If you had asked me that before Utopia, my answer would have been very different. That's that wisdom part that we all eventually get to, right? It, it's yeah. We reflect back on those moments that kind of molded us. And it's not just the easy ones. It's the hard ones that, that mold us. And I love that. So with that, Sharina, if you were giving advice to maybe our younger entrepreneurs today um, or somebody that's struggling, you know, in the moment right now, what piece of advice would you share with them? To keep going, that if you believe it, I wasn't a chemist, but I made a straw that led to a product and brought in the right people that has allowed me to use a chemistry to create something that's going to change the world. And so if you believe it's possible, walk in it. You're going to run into roadblocks. You're going to have challenges. But if you believe it, keep going. Don't be foolish. Don't keep fighting because sometimes you got to let go. You just have to let go. And in 2017, I believe that that was, what do I do? That loss was grave. I'm now thankful for what happened in 2017 because I probably would not have launched into Utopia in 2018. And we're very glad that you did. Well, listen, this has been fabulous. 
guys, if, if you needed any evidence as to what's going on in our community with the entrepreneurs, I, I think you got a taste of that today. Sharina, if, if people want to learn more about Utopia um, or somehow connect with you with questions they may have or whatever, what's the best way to do that? We have a website to learn more about every aspect of what we do. Um, we have partners, but our website is Utopia Plastics, and that's P-L-A-S-T-I-X, so utopiaplastics.com. We also, you can email us at info at utopiaok.com. You can reach us by phone at 1-866-988-6742. Utopia is in the spelling and also on our phone number. So um, that you can also, and then just Google us and you can find the information. But it's U-T-O-P-I-A, Utopia, and then Plastics, P-L-A-S-T-I-X. Don't forget that X, yes, dot com. Well, listen, we appreciate that and appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I know our listeners are going to really enjoy uh, your your show today. So, guys, be sure to check out our website at epicsbiz.com. That's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. You can get this show and the show notes along with the information to Utopia and we'll provide that. Be sure to check out the Freedom Formula, the other resources that we have available on our website. And if you know a business owner that you think we should have on our show, you know, I, I love that. We get we get that information uh, once in a while and it's helpful because we, we are constantly looking for stories like the one you heard today. You can email me at rick at epicsbiz.com. That's rick at epicsbiz.com. Give me a name and contact number and we'll reach out and see if we can get them on the show. If you'd like to learn more about one of our programs, including our next 13-week mastermind for small business owners, also send me an email. Let me know you want to learn more. We'd be happy to share that information. We hope that uh, you're doing well in these times. Stay safe. And as always, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.